Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Chris Ferdedian, and today I am so happy to have Jeremy Stratton with us, which he is the CEO of Business Legal Life Cycles. Jeremy, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to this conversation uh, as the legal side of things are something that a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the beginning, don't dabble into, or maybe afraid of it, have some limiting beliefs around it. So we're going to dive into all that. But before doing so, I gave a small introduction of who you are. Can you please unpack that a bit more? Who do you are? What do you do? Yeah. So um, I'm a lawyer from Brisbane, Australia. And if people don't know where that is, uh, just look up the 2032 Olympics because we've, we've got those in in, um, in a decade's time. So um, so we're pretty excited about that. So Brisbane, Australia, um, and I've been a lawyer for about 20 years at the time of recording this. Uh, and I, I'm a business lawyer or I have been a business lawyer acting for, for small to medium-sized businesses. Uh, I have two great children uh, who, um, if you ever hear any stomping, that's probably them upstairs. <laughs> but I've asked them to be quiet. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, I've got two, two great children and I love traveling. And yeah, the business legal life cycle is all about helping business owners to understand what they need to do in their business from a legal perspective. And that's what I'm really passionate about doing um, and really sharing that around the world. I love that. I love that. And let, let's let's talk about that because mm. as I was researching everything, there was one line that really stood out to me. I was, I was reading your bio and so on. And it, that line was make legal advice accessible. What do you mean by that? Let's unpack that because every time I'm guessing general population, or it is my perception, when you think of lawyers, I think of instantly the show Suits, Harvey Specter, and I think of people that are going to charge X, Y, and Z extremely expensive for just the call web. So let's unpack that. Are, are that true? Is it not true? What's the misconceptions with being a lawyer, essentially? Yeah, I, w- I wish my life was like Suits. <laughs> <laughs> How so? <laughs> it's just not that interesting, really. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there are some lawyers out there that, that have that, but um, anyway. Um, so uh, really, it, it, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, there's really you know, two or three things that I see as a problem um, that people have with lawyers. One is the cost, and they see it as a cost, not an, not an investment. And so you know, a lot of lawyers charge on six-minute increments. You know, They charge the time that they're, that they're um, going to you know, be doing the work for the client. And that creates a lot of mistrust and a lot of misunderstanding between the parties. So that's one reason why it's not accessible. The second one is that lawyers like to use big words. Uh, and sometimes, and, and I see this and I owned this when I was a junior lawyer, it's kind of like you, you use that as, as a way to make yourself feel better than the other person. You make them, you know, mm. I'm smarter because I can use these big words. And, you know, th- they don't explain things in plain English. They just explain things in a really, uh, in a way that isn't necessarily complicated, basically. <laughs> it's just not necessary to be that complicated. So, uh, so they do that. And the other one, the, the other real uh, 
accessibility uh, roadblock that I see is that lawyers are really reactive. So we react to problems when they arise, especially mm. with businesses. So we wait for the problem to arise. And what and what I, where I got really frustrated was on this third point around, I got frustrated with the other two, but really frustrated around this, there's a better way. There's a way that we can be proactive to actually help our clients. So, you know, we're about making it accessible by having, you know, really cost-effective uh, ways to get to educate yourself about the law. Uh, you know, we use plain English. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I love about, um, you know, the process that I've gone through and one of the things I made the point when I wrote the book was being really plain English. And, and explain things in a way that everyone can understand. And then really around, you know, helping people to understand proactively, what do I do in my business to avoid the common problems that happen? And what do I need to do about that? And, ha and how do I go about doing that? So that's what I mean about accessible uh, for SMEs. Okay. So Jeremy, I love that. There's a lot of things that we're going to unpack within what you just said. And first and foremost, let's talk about the vocabulary that people use. Now, granted, in any industry, they do have specific vocabulary. They do have specific things that are more specific for that industry. And they utilize those words so it could be more efficient in itself. So I do understand that. But there's a counterpart that I believe in, I think is kind of what you're explaining here, is that there are certain industries that put certain vocabularies to create a barrier to entry. Such as, like you just said, some of your colleagues in uh, uh, as lawyers, the law industry, some of the people in finances, Wall Street, I feel like they put specific words to confuse people when it could be super simple. Now, why do you think in the law side of things, they do that? Do they do it to make them seem, like you said, better than, or is it a financial reason behind it as they're not necessarily going to understand so they could deal with certain things a bit easier? Is that you think the reason why, or is just because they have learned these words and they want to necessarily use it? And like you said, kind of lift up their own ego. I, I, I think, you know, it, it's hard to paint a brush across the whole profession. I think that yeah. all of those things would be would be reasons why people do it. And I think most of the time, they probably don't even realize that they're doing it. Mm -hmm. that, 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 because when you become a, a technician that's really good at doing the work, that's what you live every day. That's the yeah. language that you use every day. So I'd say that all, all the reasons you, you just gave are reasons why people some people do it. But I reckon the, the, most, the vast majority of them, and I know for myself, it's probably just... That's what I learned at university. That's yeah. how we talk internally in our in our practice with our partners or our colleagues or, or whoever. And so that's just the language that we use. And what we don't do is then go to the customer side, like sit on the other side of the table and say, from the customer side, what will they understand? Yeah. So yeah, I, th I think there's a multitude of reasons, but I reckon the majority is probably they're just not conscious of it. I love that because that's pretty much spot on what I mentioned in the beginning. I think just industries get used to using certain verbiage to make things go faster. And like you said, the more you're in that, the more that word or that vocabulary or that thought process becomes normal to you. And then there is that perception that what is normal to you is normal to everybody, which isn't the case. So I love that. Now, second thing that you mentioned, I really wanted to highlight because I found it really interesting. So obviously, unless I'm mistaken, the law industry is more reactive, just like you said, that there's a problem, somebody comes to you, you guys solve the problem. So essentially, you guys make the, pro the money when, so when is, there's a problem to be solved. 
Now, once you're speaking of like, hey, we could go and fix the problem even before it arises, is that something that lawyers look into? Is it still as lucrative than the other way around? Or some lawyers knowingly that it's not going to be as lucrative, don't go into that and just wait for problems to arise within customers and get it. You're smiling, so I'm really intrigued about your answer. <laughs> I think that the, the, the response again is, is probably some of each of those things. I think that um, I think the part that that lawyers miss so often is the fact that it's actually about building a relationship. And when you're acting for someone and you're helping someone to resolve a dispute, right? It's very rare that the person will win completely. You know, you, you see on the TV shows, people have a complete win when they go to court, but the reality is very different, Chris. And the reality is that when you go to court, usually you never get your whole way. The other side never gets their whole way. And the result is somewhere in the middle, especially if you go before a judge, that's mm-hmm. their philosophy. Their philosophy is around, you know, you, you're, neither side's hundred percent right. The truth has got to be somewhere in the middle and they look for that that middle ground. Uh, and the same as if you, if you mediate a dispute. So what that then causes is then the there's resentment from the client to the lawyer because they didn't get everything they want. And often, you know, they might be promised or they, you know, a lot of people, when they get into a fight with someone, they will tell themselves that they're completely right. And then what that does is, is builds a bad relationship with the lawyer going forward. So it actually counterintuitively, you know, from the money side of things, it's actually much more lucrative to keep on, to be proactive, to solve the problem before it arises, because it's six times cheaper to get repeat work from an existing client. And this is across most professional industries than to go and get a new client. So if if you're constantly in disputes and your clients are constantly in disputes, it's going to be a point where they're not going to want to continue working with you, or they're going to be upset, or they're going to think that you did the wrong thing, or you weren't proactive enough and and all the rest of it. So uh, if you're proactively helping them solve their problems, I, I see it as much more lucrative because you, you're doing more and more work for that client. You become the trusted advisor and then you act for them for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, depending on who they are. So I think that uh, there's a short-termism and there's a misunderstanding of business based on the fact that this is the way law's always been done. And a lot of lawyers don't understand that you, you make more money by building that long-term relationship. So I think, again, I think the, the different scenarios you said uh, definitely play out in different, in different scenarios. And I think that there's got to be a flip for the lawyers around how they deal with their clients so that they can provide better advice, be that trusted advisor, and they'll make more money and it'll be more fun. <laughs> I well. love that. I love that. You just you just clarified that because I was actually wondering that question, the way you explained it. If I was imagining a new lawyer and you're mentoring me and you're telling me this, I'm like, okay, cool. This game is about building relationship as business is. I truly believe in business is building relationship. So if you're building relationship in a positive frame with your client, then they are going to keep you, like you said, to be their lawyer for 20, 30, 40 years and beyond towards if they're only seeing you when there's dispute, they're going to associate you with a negative thing, even though you have nothing to do with the dispute, you're defending them. So I really love that that perception and that understanding playing the long game instead of the short game when it comes to income. Now, as we mentioned in the beginning, because a lot of my audience is very entrepreneurial based, there's a lot of misconception or understanding about lawyers when it comes to business and the necessity, especially when you're starting a business. Can you tell us if you're starting a business, what are certain things that entrepreneurs should do in regards to 
connecting with lawyers, doing certain paperwork? Should it be done right off the bat? Should it be waiting a little while for them to make X amount of money, then start legalizing their business, incorporating so on and so forth? What are certain things that you could you know, shine some light on that whole aspect of new entrepreneurship when it comes to collaborating with lawyers? Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, this is a really important part, and that's often missed when lawyers are giving advice. That you don't need to do everything. You don't need to set up all your agreements. You don't need to protect all your intellectual property at the beginning. And actually, that's a huge cost and a huge burden on your client when you do that. So, for me, it's around really uh, sitting down with your lawyer and your team of advisors and working out where you're going. Yeah, um, I, I like um, um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he talks about startup starting with the end in mind. I actually, I actually have a different play on that, which is start up with an, an end in mind, because most people go, I don't want to think about the end, I don't want to think about where I'm going, but you need to have some direction about where you're going. So it's around having some knowledge about where you're going, uh, so that because because that basically dictates all about the different structures that you might set up, exactly how you might engage with your clients whether or not you need to worry about team members, depending on how big a business suit you want. So it's around really getting clear first on where you're going and knowing that might change. If you told me 10 years ago when I started my law firm that I'd be recording podcasts in 2021, I would have laughed at you. Um, you So um, yeah, the the direction will change, but yeah, you've got to embrace of where you're going at the time. And so that then dictates what you need to do and who you need to speak to and what kind of advice that you need. And so that's one of the reasons I wrote the book was around, you know, things like, say, protecting intellectual property uh, and registering a trademark. A lot of lawyers, and it's, it's, it's correct legal advice to say, go and protect your trademark right away. The problem is that that's a two, three, four grand exercise, depending on which country you're in. And startup businesses, you know, who, who now can start a business with a laptop, an idea and, in, and an internet connection, they don't have that kind of money. And it's not a wise investment of their time. So they shouldn't go and do that until they've built a business that they can actually protect uh, and that's worth actually protecting. And so, you know, like protecting intellectual property is one of those things that unless you've got a really cool new idea that's going to you know, be the next Facebook, which like, let's face it, most people think that they have, but it probably isn't. There's no point in going and protecting that uh, straight away. Uh, and, and even things like, you know, uh, like having the right agreements in place with employees. You, you want to have a contract in place with your employees, but you may, may not want to have all the rules and, and, and everything set out at the beginning because that might that's a cost that you may not need to incur at the outset. So in my book, I actually do go through all the different phases and actually set out what you should do and when and who you should talk to about doing those things. Uh, yeah, it's a bit long. It's probably a bit long to go through all of those things in this podcast, but they're, they're two of the big ones that I see that people get wrong uh, at the beginning. I love that. And before unpacking that a bit more, can you please tell us what the name of the book is? It's the Business Legal Lifecycle. Uh, and there's a Australian version, a US version, and a UK version of that. Oh, okay. So when we're talking about the versions, I'm talking about, I'm guessing you did it for the different legalities from Australia, UK, or uh, United States. Obviously, they're all three in English people, but there's different legalities <laughs> all three. Translated for the Australian people. Translated, that's funny. Well, I, have, I, I did translate the American one for the, you know, the, the Americans use S, uh, Zs instead of Ss in a lot of words. So Okay. <laughs> I didn't even know that. You see, I have my, uh, I'm from Canada, so I have my North American mindset. I didn't even know that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, well, what you just said over there, I wanted to kind of, you know, unpack a bit more because Mm. I think it's spot on what you said. I don't believe pending where your structure is within the business, when you start up, you don't necessarily need to go do your contracts, this, that, and the other, especially like you said, if you're starting a business from your laptop or Wi-Fi connection and you probably don't have money to invest in that, 
And in me, for my business, with my professional speaking and coaching, the first, let's say about like a year and a half, almost, I drifted off a contract that I took an example off of the internet, try to make it as smart as possible, the knowledge I had. And I was running that and I made like, like hundred thousand dollars within those contracts. And then at a certain point, when I started getting even bigger contracts, I'm like, all right, cool. Now we're at a position that we have to kind of legally make this that it's really protecting both parties involved. And I think that's the tipping point when you see it and then you approach a, a lawyer. So I'm really looking forward to uh, diving a bit more deep into your book. Cause like you said, it's interesting to find out there's different timeframes. Now, with all that being said, you said that obviously you have a, uh, a law firm right now and with a different ideology. When did it happen for you that you started your law firm from being a lawyer to jumping into the entrepreneurial world of starting your law firm? What were some of the challenges that you had within that process? What are some of the things that you've learned of like building that business? Because honestly, it is a very big business. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, when you say the reason I smiled, uh, the reason I started my business was because I knew that I could do it better than the, my, my old bosses. And I say that in complete sarcasm um, because I thought that at the time, but boy, was I wrong. Like actually building a business was, was very different, but I, as a, you know, as an arrogant 30 year old thought, well, I can do this better. Uh, so, you know, my business partner and I went and started our own business. Uh, and there's so much that we didn't know. And there's so much that we've learned in that, in that process as well. We've, we've made tons of mistakes. Uh, probably the biggest thing, uh, that I've learned over the years is really being particular about who you hire. And you know, if you want to build a scalable business, so the business legal life cycle has to be a scalable business. My goal is to make legal advice accessible for all SMEs around the world. I can't do that myself, right? That's just, that's, that, that just can't happen. So you know, I've built and building a team that, that I trust, that I can pour into, that do a great job, that you know, manage certain aspects that I don't have time to do to, to free me up to do this kind of work mm-hmm. uh, that I love doing. I love I love doing speaking and podcasting and all the rest of it. So probably the biggest lesson I've learned is to not be the technician doing all the work and to find the who. Who's, who's the person that can help me to do the tasks that I'm not good at and that I don't want to do as well? And when you're a lawyer starting a business or any sort of professional, yeah, you, you're a great technician. That's why you're going to start it. But you don't realize that there's this whole other thing called business on the other side that you think it must be really easy, but you, you don't see the back end until you actually go and do it. So that, that's, that's my biggest lesson that I've learned over the, over the last, well, I've been in business at the time of recording for a little over a decade. Wow. So Jeremy, I love that because as you were saying that, I'm like, that is spot on. And there's a couple of resources that I want to mention to our listeners. When you were talking about being the technician, uh, that's a term that was explained actually in the E-Myth by Michael, by Michael Gerber. So highly suggest you guys to go read that because like Jeremy said, if you want to scale anything and you have that big ambition, it's impossible for you to do it by yourself. You have to get resources, get teams, get systems and processes in place. So there's a great way to approach it because a lot of entrepreneurs think they're entrepreneurs, but they're actually doing the practitioner work instead of working on the business. Another one that just came out just over a year ago, uh, the book is called uh, Who Not How. Uh, so the uh, that was by Dan Sullivan. So understanding is not how to get it done, but who is the best person to get it done and delegate that. So I really love that approach. I really love the fact that you were a bit like naive at 30 years old. Cause I think we're all are a certain sense when we get into a business. Cause if you're not naive, you wouldn't dive in. Cause if you knew what's waiting for you on the other side of the corner, maybe you wouldn't dive in. But as you did, like you dove into the water, you're trying to figure it out. So I love that you mentioned that. And as you were talking about this and growing your business, this is one of my 
questions that I truly love because we talk about all this great success. And obviously, Jeremy, you're a successful person. You have a business, so on and so forth. What are certain things within your business right now that you could essentially optimize? Certain places within your business that you see that there is place to improve, that there's some situations that's difficult. And the reason why I ask this is because mm-hmm. we learn a lot not only from people's successes, but from people's difficulties. So I would love to talk about that and see what you're going to talk about and kind of reflect on it and refine it together to see your thought pattern towards how to fix a potential situation or problem that you have within your business and so on. Yeah. And I think it comes back to the people as well. So it's about uh, challenges around optimizing the team uh, and the challenge around who is the right person and then finding the right person and having that on the bus. Because I think or having the right person on the bus, I should say. I, I think that it's a it's an ongoing process that you go through to really build that team and learning how to find the right person, learning how to interview properly, like listening for great questions so that you can then you know go back and ask, um, you can go back and ask them and know what the, the responses that you're getting are. And that's the system that I'm constantly refining. Uh, you know, and, and also how to deal with them and how to train them and how to elevate them up to to uh, the level that you need them to in business and i think that's a that's a constant learning that you need to have in business i've made plenty of mistakes in that mm-hmm. in that regard uh you know i think after a decade i'm starting to get it right um, but you know again you know i plan on being in this business for the next 40 50 years and and you know it's going to take that long to build you know to, to build our dream so it's um something that i've got to constantly learn at and constantly get better at uh, because you're going to have times when things don't work out. As you said, you know, there, there are challenges and you've got to be ready to, to grow through those and having a great team helps you do that. So really it's around the team and just refining that process is, is I think the constant, um, there's constant never ending improvement around that, that I'm going through. I love that Jeremy. And as I want to be respectful for your time, I have two last questions mm-hmm. and the before last one has to do with exactly what you just mentioned is you said, okay, the main thing right now for me that I'm kind of having a hard time or really want to optimize is being able to hire the right people. I didn't mention that you've, you know, you've kind of figured it out. It's been over a decade that you've been doing this. So what are some of the tricks, methodologies, or techniques that you use to find out that this is the right person or how to approach it to really grow that team that is the most eloquently positioned to grow your mission and vision, which is essentially uh, bring legal advice accessible to everyone? So the first step is to figure out what you want from that team member. What is it? What, what is it that you're actually wanting? You know, everything begins with the end in mind. <laughs> you know, it. It, it, it does. It, 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 and it really, you know, you've got to think about what is it that you want this person to do and what, where do you want this person in the business? And then so really defining what that role is and then being really deliberate with how you go and find that person. I, I love the, the phrase and I've learned the phrase hire slowly, fire quickly. So mm-hmm. spend lots of time hiring them. Take them through a process. Don't be afraid to have two or three interviews. Have other team members interview them. Ask great questions. Uh, one one uh, great resource uh, that I, I um, read, there's a book called High Output Management by Andrew S. Grove. Um, and he was the ex-CEO of Intel. He's passed away now, but he was he was um, the CEO of Intel when it really was was rising um, back in the in the 80s. And he gave some great questions in there to really test out uh, things about about the team members and to find out their work ethic, their emotional intelligence, all those kind of things, and really asking those questions, and then making sure that you, it's not just you asking the questions, uh, that someone else is in the room, and then talking about the responses later uh, and getting a feel for that person. And if you've got concerns, raise it with them straight away. 
uh, and 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 talk to them about it because once you hire the person, you know, especially in Australia, it's very hard to get rid of someone. <laughs> the, the labor laws are, are are very tight over here, which is which is fine. We just we just have to deal with them. Uh, but even but even in the US, where you know when you have the right to work states, where it's easier to 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 let people go, you still got to invest a lot of time in that process. So it's about asking great questions and then refining those questions. And then I love, I do the, um, I don't know whether you've ever heard of it, Chris, the wealth dynamics test, uh, which actually mm-hmm. helps to to plot the people about whether or not they're, uh, what type of energy they bring, whether they're introvert, extrovert, whether they're a more mm-hmm. creative person, more people person, more uh, attention to details and really defining that out. And that actual, that actual process of wealth dynamics actually has a process where, if you're if you're one type then it tells you you need the next hire needs to be this type and the next hire needs to be that type and it actually helps you to map oh, out wow. the business um and in a really uh balanced way is uh, is probably the best term for that i love that jeremy thank you for sharing that and that's something that i do within my organization when it comes to when i get my executive uh, uh clients coming to my one-on-one coaching i get them to do a disc assessment so i can figure out what type of personality they are what What's the way that they learn? Are they more auditory? Are they visual? Are they kinesthetic? So then I could kind of approach it, the coaching within that regards. But I never thought that there's an actual platform for your business when it comes to hiring, because actually the employees that I get in my business, I make them do disc assessment as well. So I could figure out what type of person they are and so on. So I love that, that there's a platform that tells you you've hired this many uh, personalities. Maybe you're missing this one. Maybe you're like, it's really interesting. So thank you for sharing that. And Jeremy, one last question that I have over here, as we've been just listening to everything you're saying, which is golden on top of golden when it comes to the legal side of things, what would be the best place that our community could connect with you? If somebody has some law questions, uh, where would that be? And furthermore, would do you just serve a client in Australia or uh, you do have like a, a world accessibility? Talk to us a bit yeah. about that. So, so. Um, as far as the legal side goes, I don't really do any legal work anymore, um, okay. but my firm does. I, I've really stepped away from, from the legal work. Uh, we can't give legal advice per se, like specific legal advice in other countries. Okay. Uh, and the reason for that is that law is a regulated industry. What we give though is a high level understanding of what you need to do and why you need to do it. And then who you need to go and speak to. So we have the, the, the books, we have a, an online test that people can take that identifies their legal risks. We, we also have an education course that we're rolling out at the moment. Uh, it actually teaches people what they need to do and why they need to do it and empowers them to go to their lawyer with that information. So I can't give specific legal advice just because of the laws and I don't want to build a a international law firm in all 200 odd countries around the world. That would be a headache. (laughs) Um, I I want to give that that advice to empower people to go to their lawyers to get better advice and for the lawyers to be able to help their people more. Uh, And as far as where people can reach me, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if people search my name, uh, Jeremy Stratton on LinkedIn, uh, they'll find me. I'm the only one in the world with the spelling of my last name (laughs) on there. Um, And finally, uh, I've also, as a thank you for having me on the show, uh, we've created a page, businesslegallifecycle.com slash peak performance, just as one word. Uh, And on there, uh, the listeners can get a 50% off our test, uh, uh, but that actually identifies the legal risks and some other resources are on that page as well for people to have a look at um, if, if they're interested too. So people can connect with me either way. 
So Jeremy, first and foremost, let me thank you for being on the show. Second of all, let me thank you on my behalf and behalf of my audience that you just offered that 50% discount uh, with uh, the website you said slash peak performance. Everything you, you did mention will be in the show notes below. So everybody will go ahead and pick it up over there. Jeremy, it was a true pleasure. I truly love your mission and vision and your ideology of how to make legal advice accessible for everybody. I really do appreciate that niche and I just support it 100%. So once again, thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much, Chris. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day. Thank you.